All right, so start with me. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to get your dominant hand. I need you to stick it out flat, just like this, as so. Great, that's step one. Okay, step two, I want you to then take it and act like you're carrying a pizza. Okay, elbow out. Yeah, you look great out there. I can tell you. Some of you are like, I've done this before. Uh, And then step three, I want you to extend that arm and then extend your wrist. Okay, it looks like a duck. Does that make sense? Looks like a duck. Okay, now put them together for me. Step one, carry a pizza, make a duck. One more time, carry a pizza, make a duck. I only did that because you look hilarious this morning. Um, No, I... I just taught you the fundamental way to shoot a basketball. Um, Growing up, my father and my uncle, that's what we did all the time at basketball practice and things like that. It always started with the basics, the fundamentals. And what we would do is we would have these drills that just worked on the core basics. And I remember whether I was 5 or 17 warming up before a game, you would, I would start right in front of the goal with a ball and it would just be palm carry a pizza, make a duck. And that sounds funny that that's what I was thinking about, but that's what I had ingrained over time and time again. And what's interesting is it doesn't matter how much more I learned about basketball or the skills I try to develop. Most of the time I was successful if the basics were good, if the fundamentals were understood. That's true spiritually too, that there are fundamental concepts that you and I need to grasp and understand and learn because they establish for you and I a foundation from where we grow a foundation from as a church where we grow. And as we understand truth more and more, so often that truth goes back to fundamental foundational concepts. When I mean fundamental concepts spiritually, I mean things like how the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's fundamental. That's basic and core, but it's essential. That it's the living word of God. God spoke it. It's it's perfect. It's inerrant, we might say. That's fundamental. Salvation by grace through faith. That's fundamental. That it's God's doing for our salvation, but we access it through faith. Fundamental. Truths like Jesus being both God and man, that he came and lived in the flesh. That's fundamental. The birth, the death, the resurrection. Fundamental concepts we have to grasp. This morning I wanted to take it back to the basics and talk about a fundamental when it comes to the church. Imagine with me that you are one of the thousands of people in Acts chapter 1 and 2 on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. You're in the crowd of people and you you see or you hear men start speaking in tongues. The Spirit comes down and a man named Peter gets up who you recognize as a follower of Jesus and he starts preaching. And that there are the other apostles who are speaking in a language not native to themselves that people could understand. And he starts preaching this message of Jesus. How the one you killed really was the Messiah. That everything that's happening God foretold and prophesied. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And he says, you've killed him. You've crucified him. You are guilty. And so you respond in the way some did that day. You're one of those who said, well, what shall we do? He says, we'll repent and be baptized, every one of you. I want you to imagine with me, you're one of the 3,000 people who decide to go into that water that day and be immersed. And you get up and you walk to your home or your hotel or your cottage or wherever you were staying for that time. And as you're walking to your door, your neighbor notices that you are just drenched wet. You only had one outfit on that day. There wasn't a change of clothes yet. Your hair's dripping wet. My beard would be dripping wet. Uh, you're about there and your neighbor says, hey, like, 
why are y'all wet? It hasn't been raining outside. You know, there's really no reason for you to be soaked like this. What you been up to? And you say, well, I just got immersed. I was baptized. And imagine with me, your neighbor says, that's awesome. What church are you a part of? Do you know how you would respond? Or how would you respond? Because the church or the people in that time, you know what they would have said? I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about. For one, there's nothing about the church necessarily mentioned there. Now, Peter used, it says he exhorted them with more words. I'm sure they learned about the church. They learned about it quickly. But more than that, they would have no idea by what you mean of what church. There was no such thing. There was just the church. That question didn't make sense to them, but doesn't it make sense to you and I? Like in our day and age... That question is one that not only do we get, but we ask it, don't we? Did you know that there are over 45,000 denominations today? 45,000. What started with one has split and turned into many things. And we're not going to get into all the reasons why and the history of that. We don't have time for that. It's a great study. This morning, I'm not even trying to knock anybody either. That's not the purpose of this. I want us to understand a foundational truth about the one church. What they don't understand, we live in a world that's vastly different with chaos and confusion religiously and in Christianity. And we need to come back to understand what the foundational truth is about Jesus' church. And so I want to take you just through a few passages this morning to talk about the church. And there really are two truths. And if I promise they're important. I don't know if they seem not very important to you, but when we don't understand these truths, I think we we get off into some confusion. We forget who we are. We forget our purpose. Um, but not only that, we, uh, we maybe start living in ways that aren't what God's design for us was either. Um, but there are two truths I want to examine. Because we live in a world with so many ideas about the church. But yet in scripture we see a different idea. You know, John chapter 17, before Jesus would go to the cross, he prayed for his disciples, I pray they may all be one. I don't think that prayer has been accomplished in our lifetime today. And so let's talk about this idea when it comes to the church. Just notice, first of all, in Scripture, there are two truths this morning to examine. One is there's only one church. There's only one church. Uh, Look at this passage in Matthew 16. This is before the church was established. This is in Jesus' ministry, but he's having this conversation with his disciples and in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, if you're looking at your own Bible there, it says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, what are they saying about me? And they would answer, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they think you're somebody. You're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a great teacher. But then Jesus would say, Okay, okay that's what they're saying. But Jesus would ask, Well, who do you say that I am? You're my disciples, you've been with me, you've experienced me, you've heard the teachings, you've been around me. Who do you say that I am? And they, they would respond with, well, Simon would say, you are the Christ. Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Focus in on this part of that passage. He says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. People get the the rock part misunderstood. Peter just made the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Based off that confession, I will build my church. Those people who will confess, I am Lord, I am Messiah and Lord of their life. I'm going to build my church on those people. But he says, I will build my what? Church. He didn't say, I will build my churches. He said, I'll build my church. That's, that's singular. He didn't say, I'm going to build my kingdoms. He didn't say, I'm going to build or have bodies. He says, no, I'm going to build my church. There is one kingdom because there is one king. There is one church because there is one head of that church. There is one body because there is one head of that body. One truth that Jesus established early on before the church was even established is there is one now, I know you look in our world today, and that doesn't make any sense. But when it comes to Bible, to what the Bible says and what Jesus' design was, there was only one church. And he tells Peter there, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And we're not talking about that in this moment. But hold on to that, because that will come into play a little later. But start with the idea that there was only one, or there is only one church. And now look what Paul said in Ephesians 4 and how this might apply to that. At the beginning of Ephesians 4... As Paul starts to apply, all right, so start with me. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to get your dominant hand. I need you to stick it out flat, just like this, as so. Great, that's step one. Okay, step two, I want you to then take it and act like you're carrying a pizza. Okay, elbow out. Yeah, you look great out there, I can tell you. Some of you are like, I've done this before. Uh, And then step three, I want you to extend that arm and then... Extend your wrist. Okay, it looks like a duck. Does that make sense? Looks like a duck. Okay, now put them together for me. Step one, carry a pizza, make a duck. One more time, carry a pizza, make a duck. I only did that because you look hilarious this morning. Um, No, I, I just taught you the fundamental way to shoot a basketball. I'm growing up. My father and my uncle, that's what we did all the time at basketball practice and things like that. It always started with the basics, the fundamentals. And what we would do is we would have these drills that just worked on the core basics. And I remember whether I was 5 or 17 warming up before a game, you would, I would start right in front of the goal with a ball. And it would just be pong, carry a pizza, make a duck. And that sounds funny that that's what I was thinking about. But that's what I had ingrained over time and time again. And what's interesting is it doesn't matter how much more I learned about basketball or the skills I try to develop. Most of the time, I was successful if the basics were good, if the fundamentals were understood. That's true spiritually, too, that there are fundamental concepts that you and I need to grasp and understand and learn because they establish for you and I a foundation from where we grow, a foundation from as a church where we grow. And as we understand truth more and more, So often that truth goes back to fundamental foundational concepts. When I mean fundamental concepts spiritually, I mean things like how the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's fundamental. That's basic and core, but it's essential. That it's the living word of God. God spoke it. It's it's perfect. It's inerrant, we might say. That's fundamental. Salvation by grace through faith. That's fundamental. That it's God's doing for our salvation, but we 
access it through faith. Fundamental. Truths like Jesus being both God and man, that he came and lived in the flesh, that's fundamental. The birth, the death, the resurrection, fundamental concepts we have to grasp. This morning I wanted to take it back to the basics and talk about a fundamental when it comes to the church. Imagine with me that you are one of the thousands of people in Acts chapter 1 and 2 on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. You're in the crowd of people and you you see or you hear men start speaking in tongues. The Spirit comes down and a man named Peter gets up who you recognize as a follower of Jesus and he starts preaching. And that there are the other apostles who are speaking in a language not native to themselves that people could understand. And he starts preaching this message of Jesus. How the one you killed really was the Messiah. That everything that's happening God foretold and prophesied and Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And he says, you've killed him. You've crucified him. You are guilty. And so you respond in the way some did that day. You're one of those who said, well, what shall we do? He says, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you. I want you to imagine with me, you're one of the 3,000 people who decide to go into that water that day and be immersed. And you get up and you walk to your home or your hotel or your cottage or wherever you were staying for that time. And as you're walking to your door, your neighbor notices that you are just drenched wet. You only had one outfit on that day. There wasn't a change of clothes yet. Your hair's dripping wet. My beard would be dripping wet. Uh, you're about there, and your neighbor says, hey, like, why are you all wet? It hasn't been raining outside. You know, there's really no reason for you to be soaked like this. What you been up to? And you say, well, I just got immersed. I was baptized. And imagine with me, your neighbor says, that's awesome. What church are you a part of? Do you know how you would respond? Or how would you respond? Because the church or the people in that time, you know what they would have said? I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about. For one, there's nothing about the church necessarily mentioned there. Now, Peter used, it says he exhorted them with more words. I'm sure they learned about the church. They learned about it quickly. But more than that, they would have no idea by what you mean of what church. There was no such thing. There was just the church. That question didn't make sense to them, but doesn't it make sense to you and I? Like in our day and age, that question is one that not only do we get, but we ask it, don't we? Did you know that there are over 45,000 denominations today? 45,000. What started with one has split and turned into many things. And we're not going to get into all the reasons why and the history of that. We don't have time for that. It's a great study. This morning, I'm not even trying to knock anybody either. That's not the purpose of this. I want us to understand a foundational truth about the one church. What they don't understand, we live in a world that's vastly different with chaos and confusion religiously and in Christianity. And we need to come back to understand what the foundational truth is about Jesus' church. And so I want to take you just through a few passages this morning to talk about the church. And there really are two truths. And if I promise they're important. I don't know if they seem not very important to you, but when we don't understand these truths, I think we, we get off into some confusion. We forget who we are. We forget our purpose. Um, but not only that, we, we maybe start living in ways that aren't what God's design for us was either. Um, but there are two truths that I want to examine. Because we live in a world with so many ideas about the church. 
But yet in Scripture we see a different idea. You know, John chapter 17, before Jesus would go to the cross, he prayed for his disciples, I pray they may all be one. I don't think that prayer has been accomplished in our lifetime today. And so let's talk about this idea when it comes to the church. Just notice, first of all, in Scripture, there are two truths this morning to examine. One is there's only one church. There's only one church. Uh, Look at this passage in Matthew 16. This is before the church was established. This is when Jesus is ministry, but he's having this conversation with his disciples. And in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, if you're looking at your own Bible there, it says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, what are they saying about me? And they would answer, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they think you're somebody. You're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a great teacher. But then Jesus would say, okay, okay, that's what they're saying. But Jesus would ask, well, who do you say that I am? You're my disciples, you've been with me, you've experienced me, you've heard the teachings, you've been around me. Who do you say that I am? And they, they would respond with, well, Simon would say, you are the Christ. Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Focus in on this part of that passage. He says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. People get the the rock part misunderstood. Peter just made the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Based off that confession, I will build my church. Those people who will confess, I am Lord, I am Messiah and Lord of their life. I'm going to build my church on those people. But he says, I will build my what? Church. He didn't say, I will build my churches. He said, I'll build my church. That's, that's singular. He didn't say, I'm going to build my kingdoms. He didn't say, I'm going to build or have bodies. He says, no, I'm going to build my church. There is one kingdom because there is one king. There is one church because there is one head of that church. There is one body because there is one head of that body. One truth that Jesus established early on before the church was even established is there is one Now, I know you look in our world today, and that doesn't make any sense. But when it comes to Bible, to what the Bible says and what Jesus' design was, there was only one church. And he tells Peter there, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And we're not talking about that in this moment. But hold on to that, because that will come into play a little later. But start with the idea that there was only one, or there is only one church. And now look what Paul said in Ephesians 4 and how this might apply to that. The beginning of Ephesians 4... As Paul starts to apply a lot of the teaching he was giving to the Christians in Ephesus, starting in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he would say, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He is urging for unity. Patience, patience, gentleness, bear with one another. Be eager to maintain this unity that you have. And look at this, the second half of that. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one 
hope that belongs to your call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, uh, God and Father of all who's over all and through all. Uh, you guys know I go to OU games a lot. They have this catchphrase they do in their pregame videos and everything else. There's only one, Oklahoma. Look, what do you see over and over again in this passage? One. There is only one church. And it's, what's interesting there is he gets to all these ones that unites us. What's the first one? Body. The wisdom of God is, is beyond our understanding. Sometimes I wonder, though, if God put that one first because he knew how badly we'd be at this 2,000 years later. That if we didn't understand this idea. There is one body. That body means church. What Christian read to us before, it's a reference. The body and the church, Paul uses it in other places as well. The body is the church. He says there's only one of those. It's singular. Um, you look out in our world today, and, and we, we go through town, and we see church building after church building, and place after place where people meet who believe in Jesus, and, and they worship Him in some way, and and, and we get confused. Like, if, you're, if you don't grow up understanding this or being taught this, or if you just grow up and you look in your world to teach you about the church, you are utterly confused, and rightfully so. Because I'm even confused from time to time. This, the, what we have done with church in our world, or what the world has done with the church, is confusing. Some, thinks, some think that's how it's always been. There's always been, you know, thousands of churches that are different from one another. Not true. That's not how it's always been. You go back to Acts 2 when the church is established, guess what? There is... You go to the end of your New Testament, by that time, there is... That happened over history. And we can't get into all the reasons that is, but understand the design of Jesus is that there is one church. And that leads you to ask a question, and you would say, well, okay, which church is that? Right? I mean, that's kind of the logical question. You go... Okay, if there's only one church, and I live in a world where there's over 45,000, which one is that? That might take me some time to figure out. Do I have to go to every single one of those to try it out? Which church is that? We might even put it this way. Which denomination is that? You ever heard that word? I'm not the biggest fan of that word. You ever seen this movie? I am take that as a yes, The Princess Bride. Um, it's a great movie. You have Andre the Giant plays, I think it's Fezzik, the middle... Uh, that's the Sicilian. He's like the mastermind criminal. The master of wits on the left is Inigo uh, Montoya, the swordsman. You kill my father. Prepare to die. All right. Sounds very Jesus-like. Um, and then, but in the middle, this man, he, he over and over again, he says this word. Do you remember it? Inconceivable. Okay, this is apparently a, a movie everyone knows. Um, inconceivable. Over and over again. Inconceivable. And at one point, someone turns to him or looks at him and says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. We use that word in a lot of ways today. What's hard, what's confusing about that word is it's not a, it's not a Bible word. Like that word's never used in scripture. While there are concepts to it that might be addressed in scripture, it's not a word we use in scripture. You don't find it, which means there's not a set definition or a context for it. If you Google denomination, one, you'll get money. You know, I want $100 cash back. What denominations do you want that in? 20s, 10s, 5s, 1s? You know, what? we separate it. It's a separation. Religiously, you'll get thousands of definitions. And sometimes we use that word to talk about others or us in ways that I don't... I go, I don't think that word means what you think it means. But still the question... But just the idea or just the fact that we 